if we survey Latin America as a region, we see extraordinary natural beauty, abundant natural resources, abundant and potential human capital, deep and rich cultural traditions, and yet through much of the last century, a good many sadnesses. We're truly excited to have you here today and hope you enjoy the day's events. The organization committee would like to take this opportunity to thank all of our speakers for taking time out of their busy schedules in order to be here today. We'd also like to thank President Randell and Professors Becker and Singales for agreeing to take part in this groundbreaking conference. Similarly, we would like to express our profound appreciation to all of our sponsors who were instrumental in putting this conference together. Finally, we would like to thank everyone who worked really hard during the last six months in order to make this event a reality. Over the next couple of hours, you will be able to gain first-hand knowledge regarding current business and economic trends in Latin America from some of the most prominent figures in the region today. We hope that this forum will add to your understanding of Latin America's ever-increasing role in today's global economy. Additionally, we hope that you propose challenging questions for all of our day's speakers in line with the GSB's long-standing tradition of critical debate. It is now my honor to introduce to you the president of the University of Chicago, who will provide us with a day's opening remarks. Don Michael Randell attended Princeton University, where he received a bachelor's, MFA, and PhD's degrees in music. He joined the Cornell University faculty in the Department of Music in 1968. Thereafter, he served as department chair, vice provost, associate dean, and dean of the College of Arts and Sciences. In 1995, he was named provost of Cornell University. He later became president-elect of the University of Chicago on December 13, 1999. He began his term of office in July 1, 2000. His scholarly specialty is in the music of the Middle Ages and Renaissance in Spain and France. But his interests incorporate music as diverse as Latin pop and jazz. Under his editorship, the new Harvard Dictionary of Music was published in 1968. And he completed the companion Harvard Biographical Dictionary of Music in 1996. President Randell also edited the Harvard Concise Dictionary of Music and Musicians, which was published in 1999. Please give a warm welcome to President Randell. Muy buenos días a todos. Me es un gran placer darles la bienvenida a la Universidad de Chicago. Uh, welcome all. You will wonder what a professor of music is doing uh, talking about any such thing. You know, I, it's a, un disparate total. Uh, the fact is my family lived in Latin America for 30 years. It's the only home I know, really. Uh, and for that reason, it's a particular pleasure for me personally to welcome you all here and to say how important I think this session is going to be and how important such sessions will need to be if we're to confront the kinds of issues, opportunities, and problems that face Latin America. If we survey Latin America as a region, we see extraordinary natural beauty, abundant natural resources, abundant and potential human capital, deep and rich cultural traditions, and yet through much of the last century, a good many sadnesses. Unfortunately, it has to be said that Latin America has not benefited from its neighbor, the United States, in the ways that it ought to. The United States' policy with respect to Latin America has seemed at moments to swerve between misguided interventions and equally misguided inattention. Of course, the solution to Latin American problems must be Latin American solutions. But we must all work together for the benefit of the whole region. And the University of Chicago is an institution committed to the notion 
that ideas have the power to change reality. And ideas are fashioned by bringing together the best minds that can be assembled to think in a disciplined way about problems as well as opportunities. It's for that reason that we like to celebrate our deep intellectual ties to Latin America as a region, but then also to renew our commitment to the study of Latin America, to bringing together the best minds that can be assembled to think deeply about the opportunities of Latin America as a region and of the Western Hemisphere in general. Surely, the world requires the best efforts that we can provide in order to address everything that faces us in Latin America and in the Western Hemisphere generally. I look forward to being a small part of today's activities. I hope that your discussions will be especially fruitful and productive, that they will lead to even more productive discussions about matters that matter to us all very deeply. Thank you very much for being here. It is now with great pride that I present to you our morning keynote speaker. Dr. Pedro Aspe has been since April 2001 Chairman of the Board and Chief Executive Officer of Protego Asesores Financieros, a leading investment bankery advisory firm in Mexico. From 1996 to March 2001, Dr. Aspe was Chairman of the Board of Vector Casa de Bolsa, an investment banking firm in Mexico City. Dr. Aspe has also been since 1995 a professor at the Instituto Tecnológico Autónomo de México, located in Mexico City. Dr. Aspe has held a number of positions with the Mexican government and was most recently the Secretary of Finance and Public Credit of Mexico from 1988 through 1994. Dr. Aspe is a member of the advisory board of Stanford University's Institute of International Studies, of the visiting committee of the Department of Economics of MIT, and of the Center of Politics, of Politics and Economics at Claremont University. Dr. Aspe also sits on the advisory board of Marvin and Palmer in Wilmington, Delaware, an American international group where he has served as the director of the corporation since 1996 and is chairman of the audit committee and member of the executive and financial policy committees. Dr. Aspe holds a PhD in economics from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Please join me in giving a warm welcome to Dr. Pedro Aspe. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be back in, uh, in the University of Chicago. I have been here uh, three times. Uh, even though I did not study here, I have uh, the benefit uh, of uh, having had at MIT three Chicago professors uh, uh, and uh, at the right time. And, uh, and I, I must say that I learned a lot from them. When I was invited, to talk about the lessons in Latin America. We were a little bit worried. I was a little bit, they asked me to talk about what lessons, what we have learned in Latin America from some of the good policies in the region in the last 20 years. And I was, uh, you know, you can always take any country and say, well, during this time or in that, uh, time frame or in that policy, they were doing the right things. But I, 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 I thought it was not clear, a clear way to present, especially to, to you, uh, uh, which uh, bulk of you are the students from Latin America and they are going to, you are going to go back to Latin America. And I, I thought it was just more interesting and hopefully more useful to pick up one country who has done the bulk of the reforms and, okay, good, and, uh, and has um, delivered the best growth in the region. And um, this is Chile. And uh, we have to ask ourselves, why is Chile the only country in Latin America that has been growing for the last 20 years without inflation? I think it's 
is worth it. No other country has done it. Why only Chile for 20 years, high copper prices, uh, low copper prices, high interest rates in the world, recession in the U.S., recovery in the U.S., boom in the U.S., bust in the U.S., everything, and Chile keeps on growing, growing, growing. And uh, I prepared this presentation trying, as a foreigner, I'm a Mexican, trying to look what can we learn in a humble way from Chile. The Chileans are usually very humble, so they are not going to teach us, you know, they, they know how to do things, but they are not going to, to start teaching us. But I think we should learn uh, from the Chileans. Okay, so we are, I'm going to present uh, the three things. First, uh, Chile and Latin America over the last 30 years, the economic performance. So we try with uh, Fernando Delgado, who, who just graduated from, uh, from here, uh, we try to put together um, this economic data for 30 year period so that we can compare. Then we will go into some detail on the reforms of Chile and then hopefully we'll grow some, um, uh, we'll get some conclusions. Okay, it's possible to distinguish four periods in Latin America uh, uh, in this time frame. Uh, the import substitution uh, period of the 60s and the 70s, the debt crisis of the 80s, uh, adjustment and structural change from the 80s to the mid-90s, and then uh, emerging market crisis to current periods, okay? Uh, we know about the import substitution uh, period, and basically uh, they were heavily dependent on imported inputs and monopolistic control over the domestic markets. Um, because the economy were obviously closed. And very interesting uh, that in that period of, um, of no competition, no open borders, the countries that, uh, that performed the best were Brazil and Mexico, and uh, Chile clearly underperformed relative to Brazil and Mexico. Um, in fact, if we look at, uh, at that period, external debt, Chile uh, not only had the worst performance during that period, but they had the, the worst uh, performance also on, uh, on, uh, on, the, on the dependency on debt and on inflation. Look the, the inflation rates of, uh, of, uh, of Chile. Okay. Um, okay. During uh, the 80s, we go to the, the second period. Uh, Chile started doing some of the reforms, as we will see uh, later on. And uh, it was the only country that during that period had no fiscal deficit. Very interesting. From, uh, from having been the basket case of the 60s and 70s, suddenly they start uh, uh, um, equilibrating their, their, their public finances, and they have basically a zero, uh, you know, a, a perfectly balanced budget. Uh, which compares um, with, uh, with Mexico, just look at that. Uh, that's uh, the early 80s when uh, we borrowed heavily uh, uh, to expand oil. And um, the chronic case of Argentina, which we know, and Brazil. Okay. Then, um, what happened during those years? Well, now Mexico was the one that had the highest inflation rate. No, before was Chile in the import substitution, then uh, then uh, uh, Brazil and Argentina. Now now it's here, here Mexico, and uh, we had uh, we had uh, uh, a very a very uh, um, I mean relative to, to 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 Chile, a very unstable um, uh, inflation index. Of course, I have to do a second graph because look at the at the at the scale, if I can turn on this, let me see. How do I turn it on? No. Okay, well, um, yes. Okay, thank you. Okay, look, look the scale. This is 140%, no? That's Switzerland, no? As compared to the southern corn with uh, uh, 3,500, okay? Uh, uh, which was the, the inflation rates of, uh, of uh, Argentina, Brazil, and the rest. Okay. Then, this is the most important graph 
and which is, is complicated to gather because uh, there are so many sources, etc. So we spend a lot of time trying to, to do this. And this is the first lesson, and, and I, I really would want to focus on this. If out of this talk we can remember three things, this will be the first one. I, I, I really think it's important. Look, um, basically the Chileans on the fiscal, this is measuring the fiscal deficit relative to GDP. So here is minus 5%, minus 10, etc. And you see that Chile, over all this period, basically had equilibrium, and in fact, in, uh, in, uh, in 15 years have been, have been a surplus. That is uh, what it means, it really is retiring debt, because with the surplus you pay back uh, debt. The only country that has done it. Let us look at Brazil. If you look at Brazil, they, they have uh, good years, and whoop, they slip. Um, crisis, of course, whoop, they come back, they got uh, the equilibrium again, 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 again. You look at, um, at uh, Argentina with the uh, fiscal deficits. Finally, it seems that they were having equilibrium again, fiscal deficits. And if you look at Mexico, we have uh, these uh, huge um, uh, deficits. And uh, finally, we were able to correct it for a while, for some five years or so. And then again, we have a slip back to, into a fiscal deficit of around 3% at the present moment. So really, the only country that, uh, that has had a perfect equilibrium in the last 10, 15, 20 years is Chile. Very important to remember. Okay, now let us look at, um, in this phase three, the adjustment and structural change. What has happened to growth? Well, we're saying that uh, Chile was underperforming, if you look at the 60s and 70s, even to the 80s, and suddenly, because of, uh, of putting their house in order on the fiscal side, Chile is, in, during the period 80 to 90, is the, the country that grows the most. Um, followed by, this is the world uh, rate of growth, and, um, and this is uh, the, other, the other countries, Mexico and, and, uh, and Brazil and Argentina. Look at inflation rates. In inflation rates in that period, the only one that has extremely stable and converging inflation rates, Chile. Look, uh, look Mexico, no? uh, Venezuela, Argentina, Brazil, okay? Again, changing the, the index, no? the level. Okay, let's go, let's go to some of the key reforms of Chile. Well, the first one was the tax reform that uh, was done very early on by um, by um, some of the graduates from this university, by the way. Um, and um, they really wanted to, to have, uh, well, they substituted the sales tax for the value added, and they had the value added at one single rate um, uh, across the board. And, um, and they reduced heavily the marginal income tax rates. This is now. Uh, study only in economic history, no? It's uh, 30 years ago. But uh, then, then a second phase was the reduction in public sub subsidies. And then um, uh, they start returning enterprises which were illegally uh, seized. Then they started the privatization, but uh, not everything was privatized. And this is a, a second very important lesson from Chile. Uh, it is not true that everything has been privatized. And um, Codelco is a very good example of this, the main copper producing company of the country and one of the best in the world, which uh, uh, remained in uh, state control. However, however, this has been a very efficient firm. And this is very important to remember. They have managed it with, uh, with uh, tremendous efficiency and uh, is, uh, is uh, is in fact, it's a source of, uh, of, of revenue. Okay, um, and, and you can see the productivity growth of the, of the company. Then the second reform, so the first one was on the public sector. The second reform had to, deal, to, to do on trade. And on trade, 
they basically went to, uh, they dismantled all, all controls to, to uh, unification of the multiple exchange rates, and they replaced all the non-tariff <coughs> barriers to tariffs, and then finally they have uh, a uniform tariff rate of 10%. What they have done on the value added, one, one rate across the board, now they have one rate, uh, one uh, uh, uniform tax, uh, tariff rate. Um, uh, and um, they had one period of fixed change rates, then they went to, to, to flexible exchange rates, and then they start doing uh, the, the trade accords. In fact, the, the first one with Mexico was, was signed in 92, but the second one was in 99, but the first one they did was with Mexico in 92. And um, these are all the, the ones that they have done, and of course now uh, the, um, the, the U.S. Uh, uh, trade accord, which is um, which is very important, uh, as uh, as um, as we will see. The third reform had to do with the social security reform. Uh, as you know, the the old system was based in a pace as, as you go, which is very standard across the developing world, and um, and that was changed to a full capitalized uh, system, and um, they uh, aim to simplify, unify. Uh, the system, uh, they had uh, a, minimum, a minimum pension guarantee, uh, both in individual capitalization benefits and the private and competitive administration of the pension funds is a reform not only which has been extremely successful in Chile, but that they have exported it as technology uh, to industrialize, well, first to the rest of Latin America. We, we copied it uh, uh, when I was uh, in office uh, in 91. We copied it uh, with the Sistema Pablo del Retiro in 92 reform, and uh, many of the countries in Latin America have uh, followed the Chilean path. Not only those, but also four European countries, as you know. Okay, then uh, the big reforms on the financial sector. Uh, that was uh, a, a big, big change, not only uh, on the privatization, but on the supervision and regulation, where they uh, did a very good job. In, in uh, then the labor market uh, reforms, um, uh, a tough period, the first one, but the second was liberalized, and uh, and uh, and they showed lots more flexibility, and uh, and uh, as you know, this um, uh, flexibility has uh, has meant a lot for the growth of the of the country. Finally, on privatization, uh, the second stage, they uh, they did. Um, um, uh, finally, they, they privatized another 200, in fact, 207 enterprises. So they finished up the job there and, um, and decided that the other firms were not going to be privatized, but they had to be efficient, production, uh, pro uh, productive, and, and with, um, with uh, never in the rest. Okay, uh, as part of, um, of the social sector reforms, they did um, extremely important reform on the education sector. And this is, this is the most um, interesting of all. Look at the, uh, the public <laughs> subsidies to the private sector as percentage of expenditure in education. And this is the OECD average. And this is Chile. By the way, this is Canada. This is the US. Okay. Uh, this is Paraguay. This is Mexico. Okay. And, uh, and big, big reforms on, uh, on education, and they are spending uh, a bulk of, uh, as, uh, as no one else in, um, in education. Um, same thing in, um, uh, on the social front is the pensions, then education, and then health and nutrition, and then the housing reforms. These are extremely important reforms that uh, were coming along in parallel with economic reforms, extremely important uh, uh, reforms, especially the one in health, uh, has been uh, uh, very successful. Okay, third big, big lesson. They change the judiciary system in a way that no one else has done it in Latin America. Uh, they have, uh, they, uh, they, uh, they have training, uh, they have reforms, uh, where they separate the, the all the administrative uh, sections to the to the legal part. Uh, they introduce technology. Um, 
they, uh, uh, they spent a lot more resources to the judiciary. They inf improved infra infrastructures. Basically, they modernized the whole, the whole system. And, um, well, when you ask uh, uh, um, in, in the service that they, they do about the rule of law, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's the ranking in Latin America. This is Chile, this is Mexico, Brazil, rest of Latin America, Argentina, Venezuela. Okay, um, they have uh, on political stability too. The health uh, indicators too, amazing. Uh, by the way, I hope that uh, all of you have it clear that five years more of, of the present growth of Chile, and Chile will become in the year 2008, 2009, an industrialized economy by IMF standards. It's very important to remember that. Okay, this is the productivity growth of Chile, and if you if you see, um, they keep on they keep on increasing. No. Okay. Finally, um, what happened in in this um, in this period? If you if you take the last ten years, well, not only Chile outperformed the rest, more than double the rest, the growth. And this is uh, extremely important. They have done it in the first period, 80 to 90 already, but in the second period, 6% uh, versus twos in the, in the rest. I think this is uh, very important to put it in context, and the Chileans do not like to tell us this. That's why it takes a Mexican or a Brazilian to, to show it. <laughs> Uh, okay, now, uh, it's very important that uh, structural and current reforms get, get translated into tangible results, and, and the credibility of public institutions and macroeconomic stability is an example. These are indexes done, well, I have, I have here the sources, and uh, Chile is at the forefront in macroeconomic environment, in public institutions, by far, the, uh, at the front. Okay, so let us sum up with uh, some of the results. Since 80 and up to 2003, Chile is by far the economy that has grown the most uh, of all Latin American countries and that has achieved the lowest inflation rate among the group. Why? Well, first, it's the only country with 12, in the last 12 years without a fiscal deficit, and in the last 24, except for one year of 1%, basically they have had no fiscal deficit. Second, is the country with the most open economy and the lowest tariff level. Uh, third, uh, is, is the one of the most solid and enforced judici uh, the judicial and, and the rule of law, of law regimes. Fourth, uh, the only one with highly productive world-class state-owned companies. Fifth, country with a profound social reform in place uh, six, the economy with efficient pension system uh, reforms, growing capital markets. Uh, so, as it happens with most successful stabilization and adjustment programs, there is not a single reason for the ultimate success. However, some positive and negative lessons can be derived. First, lack of privatization is not an excuse of improductivity and excessive spending. Uh, Codelco is an is example of uh, how you can run uh, a public sector company. It will be better if you can privatize it, but if not, at least make it productive. Second, rule of law and, uh, and, uh, and the judiciary reform are key framework for sustained economic growth. They are key, key, key for economic reform. Uh, third, this is maybe one of the most, less, uh, most important lessons on Chile. Switch of political ideology of ruling party, going from right to center to left, has not changed economic policy. This is the most important thing. They have, uh, they have had surplus on the fiscal side with, um, with the right-wing uh, uh, government in place, with the center government, and with the left-wing government. So the socialists uh, have maintained uh, perfectly healthy public finances. And this is one of the lessons, and President Lago is, uh, is to be commended for, for this incredible management uh, that he has done in the macroeconomic uh, process. Uh, Fourth, structural reforms at, at restoring the basic uh, balances 
need to, need to be put early on. One of the basic internal standard balances have been restored, and it is very important to keep them under control. Chile has shown us how. Fifth, for the efficiency, enhancing structural reforms, one needs to move in many fronts at the same time. Otherwise, the expected effects of the specific reforms is substantially reduced. And this is particularly important for the social reforms. The social reforms have to come alongside with the main economic reforms. Uh, the private investment response to these reforms take a long, long time. Why? Because the private sector needs to be able to predict where incentives are going to be in the medium term before undertaking irreversible investment decisions. Here, predictability of policies can do much to accelerate the investment response. So you shift, you change policy, but you have to persevere. You have to persevere. Why? Because the private sector has to, has to, see, to be seen this policy as a permanent policy. And until it is seen as a permanent policy, then, then investment will flow in. And, um, and another uh, big lesson from, from Chile is that uh, all the regulation of the financial system has to come also with appropriate regulation and supervision. So here is the, the summary of the results. This is Chile. These are the rest. These are the rest of, uh, of the countries. And, uh, and Chile with a productivity growth of around 5%. And, and in our country, whoop, and then up and down the rest. So I will want to end with a quote, being here in the University of Chicago, I have to, to, to come back uh, to, to a quote. Uh, let me just uh, put here the macroeconomic index, who is at the top? Uh, rule of law, who is at the top? Corruption index, obviously it's honesty at the top. <laughs> technology technology uh, index, who is at the top? And I end with this. Uh, quote. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ashton, for such a great presentation. Uh, we will now open the floor for questions. Please. You said that they, they surely would be able to Yeah, uh, I'm a foreigner in terms of Chile, so let me let me let me tell you my opinion from the outside. Um, when when they started the, the the policies, they start communicating to the population that all these savings from all these things on privatization of the malfunction of public sector companies, etc., they were going to do a, a social reform exactly at the same time. So people were seeing, well, we are not having these things, but we are having these other things. That's first. Second, they, uh, they uh, open up the political system. And when they open up the political system, they have laws in place where they have to go to Congress. And they have to explain perfectly well all the policies in Congress. They had a tremendous uh, diffusion of information of the public sector uh, finances. Third. Uh, and I think it's one of the most important things, they did some changes that in order to reverse them were practically impossible. Example, uh, the very early, very early on um, independence of the Central Bank of Chile. The independence of the Central Bank of Chile cannot be reversed. And uh, so what you know perfectly well, when you go into a country, and you say, well, what's the legal framework for the independence of the central bank? Is this a constitution? Is, is this a constitutional reform, or is this a legal reform, or is this a presidential decree? If it is a presidential decree, well, you know perfectly well that it can change, like the weather in Chicago. No. <laughs> uh, uh, if uh, if it is uh, with a legal, well, it takes a year. <laughs> if it is a if it is a constitutional mandate, it's very very complicated. Practically, it's irreversible. And if it is a constitutional arrangement like in some of our countries, like in Mexico, that you, know, you need a two-thirds majority in Congress, then once the, the, that you approve the, 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 the constitutional amendment, is irreversible. 
Uh, that's some of the lessons, for instance, that I learned personally from Chile. And, uh, and uh, when we proposed the um, independence of the Central Bank of Mexico, uh, when I went to Congress to defend uh, the, the constitutional amendment, um, uh, I remember very well a deputy asked uh, ask me, Mr. Aspa, are you copying Chile? Are you ashamed? I said, no, I'm not ashamed. We are copying Chile, yes, but we are copying also Holland, and we are copying uh, New Zealand, and we are copying Germany. Uh, big, good central banks with constitutional reforms so that uh, this cannot be reversed. And I think that's, that's a, a very important uh, lesson also. And last but not least, the big challenge, of course, was um, uh, three years ago when, um, uh, when um, uh, the election gave to the socialists the majority. And uh, very interestingly enough, look uh, what President Lagos uh, has been saying, uh, amazing. He said, uh, we are going to maintain macroeconomic stability. We are going to maintain fiscal equilibrium. I mean, that was an out of the question. That was a state policy, not a governmental policy, uh, because uh, that crosses boundaries from left to right. And then he said, but we have to work lots more uh, with respect to uh, social spending. And for instance, he proposed, he said, in uh, my first uh, year of administration, I'm going to spend a lot on uh, bringing broadband to each of the public primary schools in, uh, in Chile. And, uh, and Chile is the only country who has now broadband in all public schools. We cannot have it in the high districts of Mexico City. No? They have it everywhere. And, uh, and, uh, but they, they have done that within, within the budget, within the recognition that there are scarce resources and that you are not going to have a public deficit because if you go to public deficits, then et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, come. So I think that's, that's the reason. But the test has been, has been passed in the last two years. Yes. Well, basically, uh, we have, uh, you know, in terms of the reforms, we have um, uh, three big reforms pending uh, relative to Chile. Uh, on, the, on the pension reform, we did it on the private sector. We have it completed on the public sector. Uh, uh, Secretary Gil Diaz, uh, uh, Secretary of Finance of Mexico, and a graduate of Chicago, um, and a teacher of mine, uh, by the way, uh, uh, is proposing the pension fund, the extension of the pension fund reform to the public sector. That's key, absolutely key. That's one of the big reforms. Uh, uh, second, uh, second um, we have um, um, a big, big uh, requirement on energy. We have, uh, Mexico is uh, an energy abundant uh, country with the highest prices of energy in the world, uh, kind of off. Uh, and third, um, we need uh, to advance those more on, on education and health reforms, on the social reforms. So it's, uh, uh, we, we have done some of the reforms, as the Brazilians have done some of the reforms, the Argentinians have done some of the reforms, but uh, we have not done the basic ones. The only country that has done the basic reforms is Chile, and that's why the sustained growth. Yes, please. Argentina, and of course, Andres, and Mexico, the um, What has been the experience uh, of 
Yeah, well, I can comment only on Mexico. We, we have uh, the capitalization system only for the private, private sector pension uh, funds, uh, not for the public employees, okay? So it's not a complete copy of the, of the, of the Chilean model. We copy the first part, and then uh, in the way the reforms stop. Uh, the, the, the results have been, um, uh, I would say, uh, quite astonishing in Mexico. I, I would say a total success. Uh, let me just give you uh, three, uh, three or four uh, examples of, uh, of what has happened with the Afores in Mexico. Um, first, this is the first time in Mexico that we have long-term credit. And we have long-term credit because it's the first time that we have long-term deposits or long-term savings. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to go to, to, to Houston uh, with my, my parents, and I remember that, that uh, I, I said, what a, what a strange country. Why do they, do they uh, sell cars by the month? And my father would say, what's that? Why, where did you learn that? I said, well, they say that this car costs $360. Uh, why do they sell it per month? And we didn't understand, well, well, because you have five uh, years credit. And why do they sell these houses for, uh, for the month? Is the monthly payment and you have a mortgage of 25 years. 25 years, my God, we cannot get a credit in Mexico in 25 months. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, I always had that since I was a kid. So when, um, when, um, when they did the first, uh, uh, Jose Piñera did the first uh, reform in Chile, I, I have met him in uh, Cambridge because uh, he was uh, from, uh, studied at Harvard when I was at MIT. And uh, we got together and then uh, start uh, introducing this reform. And okay, so let me just give you one example of long-term credit. Today, on the Diaforest, we have rough numbers, um, $50 billion. And the average tenure is 30 years. How do I get that? Very simple. The average worker in Mexico has, is a 35-year-old, uh, uh, and the average um, pension age is 65. So you have 30 years uh, on average, uh, these deposits, which are today uh, $50 billion. Second, they are growing at 20% per annum, and um, they are going to grow at that rate, even though the economy is growing much less uh, uh, they are growing uh, at that uh, tremendous pace. And uh, third, uh, this is uh, the reason why there is a housing boom in Mexico. Why? Because you can get a mortgage today in Mexico uh, for 20 years. How can you get a 20-year uh, mortgage? Oh, because we have deposits of 30 years. Uh, uh, why, do you, why can't you get in Mexico a fixed peso rate of 10 years? Oh, because we have deposits on the other side, etc. So I think it's a tremendous reform. It has been managed by the private sector. There are 40 or 50 authorities, I don't know, something like that, and they compete, etc. And of course, there is always room to, of improvement. There are criticisms that the fees are too high, etc. Yes, and they are improving these things. Uh, they, are, they are saying that uh, they should be open up to, um, to not to have only government paper, but to have um, uh, foreign uh, equities. Uh, as in Chile, we just uh, we just uh, received the announcement uh, in Mexico last month that Afores will be able to uh, diversify their portfolio uh, buying up to 10 or 15 percent on on foreign paper, and which is extremely important as you can imagine to diversify your risk because if not you have only Mexican risk and you want to diversify worldwide uh, your risk, and uh, and the government has been criticized. Uh, because uh, the deregulation is going too slowly. I think they're going, they're going at a fine pace. I, don't, I really don't criticize them on that. I think they have done a very good job. They are gradually opening up with very good supervision, with creating the, the competitive uh, atmosphere for all the pension reforms. So this is a Chilean idea that has spread Latin America and, uh, and the world. Now, what is important is to have a good legal system behind the Afores. Because if there is a crisis and then politicians can take over those assets, well, then, then there is a disaster. Thanks God, uh, in Mexico, has not, we have not had a bad experience on that front. Yes.
I, I, I agree with both comments. I think that the first one is particularly important. Well, both of them are, but, the, but I will want to expand a little bit on, on your first comment. Uh, take, take what trade can do to you in terms of diversification of, uh, of your exports. Um, and I want to, to give you three examples of, uh, of uh, this amazing thing. In 1980, Mexican exports was 90% oil. In, in, in 1980, yeah. And Venezuela's exports were 80% oil, the same. Mexico opened up, Venezuela didn't. So what happened um, uh, 20 years, 25 years later? Venezuela has 85% concentration on oil. And for us, I think, is 5%? 8%. 8 8%. With high prices at this moment. It used to be five, absolutely, and it's uh, now 8%. So it's a total diversification. And this is extremely key, extremely key. Second comment, you know, uh, uh, in Mexico, we have a free trade agreement with Chile since, um, since the early 90s. And uh, one of the amazing things that you, you see in Mexico is uh, uh, early on, I mean, 10 years ago, was that we could afford to buy uh, salmon. No? And said, where is this salmon coming from? from Chile. And Chile in the 80s didn't have salmon in Santiago. Forget about exports. And uh, it's amazing what they have done. And the other side is, is the Chilean wines, no? which uh, has become a very robust uh, uh, industry with a tremendous quality. These are the changes that trade, uh, that trade brings to you that uh, no central panel could say, oh, I think in Chile we can uh, export salmon. I mean, the market can do it. And, but you have to provide incentives and you put in place, you have to put in place a framework of permanence, of, uh, you know, of long-term vision where the private resources could be allocated for the more efficient use. I take two more questions. Uh, we still have uh, time. Yes, please. Yeah, I, uh, uh, it took a long, long time. The, the, the foreign investment to, to Chile took a long, long time because of three things. First, it was very far away. Second, it, have, it has had a lot of volatility on, uh, on their macroeconomic uh, policies. And third, they had a big period of, of uh, nationalization and confiscations, etc. So it took a long, long time. But um, uh, they persevered. That's, the, that's, that's one of the key, key results. If you want to have short-term results, forget it. I mean, what you have to do is, it's like uh, you have these oil tankers. You, you change the, the, the direction and you change the wheel and you have to wait because uh, it keeps on going like that and finally it starts turning uh, towards uh, growth in that sense. But you have to persevere, you have to persevere. So it took a long, long time. So what I what I really, really commend the Chileans for, it was that uh, they persevered. A lot of people were criticizing them. Oh, they opened, they are, they are not uh, bringing uh, enough foreign investment. Look, uh, this is a mistaken policy, etc. And they persevered, they persevered, they persevered. And now they, they, they have, and in fact, now with the pension reform, in fact, they don't need it anymore. I mean, they are, they are, uh, they are, uh, they are uh, starting to, to be uh, a capital exporter. Uh, country because uh, well wages have been going up and uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's like the U.S. in the 19th century versus the U.S. in the 20th century. No, I mean in in the beginning you have a, a, a current account deficit which is perfectly okay because you are a net capital importer. You use these proceeds correctly and you build up infrastructure, build up all these things, uh, and uh, and eventually you start. Uh, be neutral and eventually you will be a capital exporter. Chile in the next, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the next decade, 2010, 2020, I bet they will be a net capital exporter. Uh, they have done everything well. Yes.
Oh my God. Uh, I think we need a Chilean to tell you, <laughs> not the Mexican, <laughs> not certainly me. Uh, the only thing, the only thing I could tell you is the following. I'm not, I'm not um, worried or embarrassed for short-term deficits. Yeah, to have supply shocks, and where if you have a temporary uh, fiscal deficit, it wouldn't be uh, a disaster for me. What I think is really a disaster is to have um, increasing deficits without the policy to correct. And. Um, I have always uh, learned the lessons on the fiscal side. I really believe on fiscal prudence, and um, I think you ought to start discussing that lots more uh, right now, because uh, if you think that the world is going, you know, when you have a huge uh, fiscal deficit in an open economy, the mirror image is that you have a big current account uh, uh, deficit. and, and you can have current account deficits for two reasons. One, because um, you have a perfectly balanced budget and people would want to invest in your country because there are a lot of opportunities, which is the good current account deficit, or the bad current account deficit, which is when you have a huge fiscal deficit. I, I'm afraid you're having the second one. And, um, and the, the, the thing is, if people will be willing to keep on financing uh, 500 billion per annum, uh, the US, uh, and, uh, and the answer is not, uh, I think, no way. So what we are going to, to see, I think, is that either you have to increase uh, interest rates fast or you do not increase it fast enough uh, while you correct the fiscal deficit, you are going to see a depreciation of the dollar. And uh, that's exactly, I think, what we are going to see. But eventually you will have to face it. But uh, anyhow, uh, this election time, I, I hope that you Americans discuss it because uh, uh, the rest of the world will not be uh, uh, able to finance you. You are too big. <laughs> I take one, one last question. Uh, I'm back. Yes? Well, I think, I think um, it's impossible to do uh, very early on everything. So what you have to do is in the beginning you need leadership. And why leadership? But that's, that's something that you know, we learned, by the way. Excellent papers come out of this school on, on leadership. Uh, you need leaders because uh, it's, it's, it's like um, when you are in a sailboat. Uh, I was, I was uh, last year with uh, m my, my youngest son in uh, sailing in a lake. And, uh, and I'm not a very good uh, sailor, but uh, we had, a, suddenly a storm came to, to the lake. And you know, we were, we were very scared. And, uh, and, um, and we were tacking. You know? and, uh, and I said to, to my son, put your hand on top of that. We are going to keep the direction. And you know, the boat was doing this, a small sailboat, uh, and it was just doing like that. And then he said, uh, Daddy, should we turn? He said, no, if we turn, we really will go overboard. We have to, you know, to keep the strong hand there. And, uh, and, um, and I remember my son looking at the front of the boat, and, and my, my hand was hurting, no? because he was, he was holding tight. And finally, we passed the reform. All the things I have done to educate him, no? I think that was the most important one. Why? Because when you have headwinds and you said, okay, things are rotten and they are criticizing you, this is going too slow, this is not good, uh, this is, uh, how they call it now, neoliberal stuff, no? And uh, this is uh, for the rich, you know, all these things, and say, look, we have to persevere, we have to persevere. That's what leadership is all about. And that's what really can change society. 
And as the president of university said, never un underestimate the force of ideas. Ideas can do wonders. Thank you.